Would you give a warm welcome to the great Elizabeth Zetterquist? Woo! Woo! Is my mic on? Oh, yes. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, woo, okay. I'm nervous. All right. I just wanted to say if you're new to the Grove here or just visiting, you are welcome here. If you are unsure of where you stand um, with your relationship with God, you are welcome here. And if you don't know what you believe in, we believe in you. Stick around after the service so we can get to know you guys better. I just wanted to share with you guys a few um, statistics that I learned. God, there's a lot of people here. Thank you for coming. Wow. Um, did you guys know that in the last four decades, um, the incarcerated women in the penitentiaries have risen 700%? In 2019, there were more than 231,000 women and girls held in jails and in prisons. Women have become the fastest growing population in jails and prisons. 86% have experienced sexual trauma. 76% have experienced domestic violence. 80% are mothers, most of them single. 74% suffer from substance use disorder. 28% of those women are convicted of a property crime motivated by an economic need. I check four out of five of those boxes. I just wanted to share with you those statistics. And if you have your Bible, grab it. If not, open your Bible app. This is a verse today that spoke to me. It's from Matthew 4, 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Today, I'm going to share with you guys my story from darkness to light. This is a story of brokenness, shame, guilt, unforgiveness, pride, and ego, and blame. This is also a story of transformation, restoration, love, grace, mercy, hope, and forgiveness. I would say the um, first eight years of my life, I lived a normal, happy childhood. Um, we had a family that went to church. I believed in God. I knew God loved me. And I knew God was a loving God. At nine years old, within uh, six months, I lost my grandfather to cancer. My dad died suddenly asleep in his sleep at 36 years old. And I lost my mom to grief and a broken heart. I can remember the exact moment when my mom came home from the hospital to tell me that, they, um, that my father had passed away. And she said they'd done everything to save him. And all I heard was blah, blah, blah. I walked outside and there was this plant that was like a fuzzy plant and I sat down and rubbed it. And at that moment, my whole world went dark. I hated God, I blamed God. I spent 30 years living in the dark. Whew. Although I was able to function as a normal Child, teenager, young woman, teen single mom, I always felt not enough. I felt different. I felt less than. I traveled through the land with no direction, no purpose, and I always strived to make everyone else happy. I had an illusion that if I met society's expectations, that that would equal success, and that would make me happy. I just longed to be loved and accepted. 
I spent 30 years wearing masks and I would switch those masks based on the situation, what you wanted me to be, what I needed to be, to fit in or to not fit in, to stick out. I switched the masks off to fit every occasion. I could be in a room full of people and still feel alone, terminally unique. I had this deep black hole, a void in my soul. I filled that hole with everything and anything, negative and positive attention from men, from women, material things, food, shopping, alcohol, lots and lots of alcohol, cigarettes, driving fast, and eventually drugs and a life of crime and violence. A part of my story, which is funny but not funny, is I share with people that I wanted to be the main character in a rap video. <laughs> it's funny but not funny. <clears throat> I was lost and broken and afraid, and I didn't know there were any other options, and I just kept getting more and more and more desperate. I had to write notes because I had specific points I needed to share. Along this journey, I was blessed with three children, Taylor, Darren, and Bailey, and I was a single mother who had never been able to make it without my mom, Debbie. She's out here. Thanks, Debbie. But again, as being a mom, I was just checking all the boxes of what society said moms had to do. I was a 16-year-old teen mom that graduated high school. Check. I worked full-time and went to school full-time. Check. I attended college full-time and worked full-time, check. I put my kids in soccer and basketball and da dance, check, check, check. But at times I would be there physically, but just an empty shell. I'm sorry, most of the time, let's be honest. I always just felt like there was something missing and I was always comparing myself to everyone else. I had this big group of friends for 30 plus years, some of them out here, um, thank you for coming. And couples that they were married and they had a house and they had cars. And I just always was like, why? Comparing myself to that and their vacations and their this. But now I know that that just kept me really sick. And I was always comparing myself to the Joneses. And I even remember a day my daughter Taylor would say, these people live in this big house and they're cheerleaders and they have these clothes. And I just remember telling Taylor, that you never know what's going on in the inside of that house. And yes, we live with Danny, that's my mom, but there's nothing wrong with that. But still in my mind, I felt that there was something wrong with that. So then came that mom guilt and shame, that mom guilt and shame that I would never, I would never level up to the other moms. And it was just so overwhelming for me. In my 30s, I reached to all time lows and highs. I had low self-worth, low self-esteem, but also a huge, huge ego and so much pride. I graduated from college with my bachelor's degree in accounting, and I also picked up binge drinking five to seven nights a week. I started experimenting with dangerous drugs, which later in, in my late 30s progressed to daily usage of these dangerous drugs. I no longer was just a bystander to crime, I committed those crimes with people. Some people may judge me by what I'm saying by this, and that's okay, because that's my story. I was an empty shell, I was not good enough, not loved, not valued, broken, beaten emotionally, spiritually, physically, and addicted to drugs. My final days of darkness, woo, here comes. I had a protection order on my kids and my mom, and actually the whole neighborhood cul-de-sac had this for me. I had warrants out for my arrest. I was living in the motels. Some of you guys know where those are. 
The people I was with would give me enough drugs just to keep me maintained. And I would go across to the McDonald's and dig out of the trash can and dig out receipts. And I would go into the McDonald's and pretend like my order was wrong just so I could eat. There was a day when I was in this motel room with these people and they thought I had stolen their drugs, which I did not. And they put a blanket over me and they started beating me. And I heard their knives come out of their, whatever they hold them in. And they were gonna stab me. And I just knew, I just prayed that I'm gonna die. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I heard the motel room door shut. And I didn't die and they didn't stab me. All I had to do was walk across this field and turn myself into the jails. And I couldn't do it. I could not get myself there. I was too scared, but I would stay with these people that would beat me and hurt me. March 16th, 2016, I was wandering around with these people and um, the cops started chasing us. And I thought they were chasing me because I had a warrant, which they weren't. And I hid in a bush. And this is also a funny story, but not so funny. And I peeked out of the bush and they were like, come out with your hands up. And I hid behind the bush, peeked again. You're not possibly talking to me, right? Come out with your hands up. So I come out with my hands up, guns are drawn on me. Whew, it wasn't even for me. It turns out I still had um, warrants, so I was taken in. And this was my first experience with surrender. Who knew that surrender could be so powerful? This time going to jail, my mom wasn't there to bail me out. This was my final stop before my final, de my final destination of La Vista Women's Correctional Fil Facility. I stayed in the county jail long enough um, to sleep off the drugs and for two little ladies to come in and ask, hey, does anyone want to get saved? And I was like, ah, yes, please save me. I don't even know what it meant. So I went in this little room and they had this little Bible. I couldn't even read the print and they asked me to pray this prayer of salvation. And I went back out and I was like, oh, good, that's good had no clue what it meant. I then was on the bus ride to prison, shackled. They shackle you like this. And you shuffle to the bus. And here's this um, big, bad rap video gangster girl. So scared. So broken. And the first five days of um, prison were absolutely horrible. You no longer have a name. You become a number. They wouldn't give me a toothbrush for five days. They wouldn't tell me any answers. All you could hear is the slamming of the prison doors and the echoes of the screams of the people up above screaming in the night. And this is my story from darkness to light. God had to pluck me out of the land and throw me in prison to save me and to let me know he is a loving God. I would not learn the lesson, lesson after lesson after lesson. I probably lived 29 plus lives. And all along God was there with me just like he was in that motel room. I began to see these women walking around in prison with this light of them. And I wanted what they had. And those of you that know me really well know I'm nosy. And that hasn't changed. <laughs> and I just began like following these people around. And mind you, these women will never get out of prison, most of them. And they carried these Bibles and they went around with hope and love and kindness. And I just followed them wherever they went. And I went to these Bible studies. I knew at that time that everything that I knew in my life before prison had to be gone, had to be laid to rest, dead, dead to old self, made new with the love of God. 
I accepted Jesus in my heart during these ministries and these ministries came week after week after week and there was Bible studies for every single thing. Along with that, I found the rooms of recovery in a 12-step program simultaneously. So God knew and strategically placed these programs in the prison for us, for these women. And there's 500, 600 women in hell, in hell of darkness. And it is so sad that only a small percentage are seen by the light, but that light is what saved me today. In prison, the bricks of my self-made prison began to fall and I began to peel the layers, peel the layers, peel the layers and let God into my heart. I learned that God loves me. I learned that I am forgiven. I learned, I remember there was a study where they said we could leave all our burdens, all our resentments, all of our shame and all of our guilt at the altar. There's no altar in prison. However, I said, what? I can leave it here? And I set it down and a few weeks later, I picked it back up and I set it down. And a few weeks later, I picked it back up, but slowly I began to learn and accept that God had forgiven me. I learned humility there. I learned how to be honest. I learned love and kindness. This was my second surrender was allowing God into my heart and allowing him to transform me and take these things from me, from me. Walking out of prison, I was a brand new me. Woo! <laughs> but it, was, it doesn't stop there. The transformation did not stop there. I had to go then to the halfway house. So God just didn't say, Elizabeth, I'm going to transform you, restore you in 30, 60, 90 days. I'm a tough cookie. I needed to be in prison for 14 months and then to the halfway house for seven. And there my pride and ego was checked again because guess what? Elizabeth had to ride the city bus. I'd never ride a bus before. Are you kidding me? And I was to ride a bike and I was too prideful to buy my own bike. So I rode a girl's bike that was um, too small. It was made for 12 year olds. And I tootled that little bike around town to everywhere I had to go. It was hard. And a part of that, a part of the, my piece too that I shared is that, that pride and ego. And once I began to get um, charges, but I had this bachelor's degree in accounting and so I couldn't let my pride down enough to just go get a job anywhere because didn't you know who I was? And that kept me sick. So guess what? God showed me what you're going to do. You're going to be a housekeeper and you're going to be a housekeeper, housekeeper in a hotel with no air conditioning. Uh-huh. So you're going to ride your bike an hour or ride a bus for three hours and you're going to do housekeeping here. And through there, again, humility, I was raised up. God taught me that he is a loving father and I didn't have a father and he became my father. And through the transformation of what he did in my life, he allowed me to then accept direction from men because I didn't have a dad. So no man was going to tell me anything. Not a cop, not a therapist, not a teacher, no one. And so I learned to do that. And guess what? My first um, boss was a male and he was a tough man. And I learned to respect him and take direction from him. And then my parole officer was a male. My therapist was a male. And so I learned to surrender and take direction from these male people that I could begin to learn to have healthy relationships with, which I had no clue. Since um, God also has sent me people, women and men strategically in my story to help guide me closer to God. And so in the rooms of recovery in, um, prison. I don't know if we're allowed to share it, but it's fine. In Narcotics Anonymous in the prisons, you know, you have to send a kite to go there. And so again, out of 500 women, 14 people are allowed to go every week. That's it. You either get in or you don't. 
So I was lucky enough to be able to get into that. And when I left the prison, these women said, you're going to get to Fort Collins. You're going to find this woman and you're going to love her. And I was like, nah, right. We're not going to find her. Then I get to the halfway house and they share with me that we can't go to a meeting for weeks because you have to be on a certain level. And inside the prisons, they tell you, if you don't get to a meeting within the first day, you're going to use. And I knew that I didn't want to use ever again. So I freaked out. And then they called over the intercom. They said, um, Narcotics Anonymous, in the, in the day room. And I walked in that room and there she was. <laughs> Karen, she's not here today. But I was like, oh my God, God sent me to you. And through my relationship with her, this woman guided me. Oh my God, and she has a love. I said, oh my God. She has a love of God that just emanated off of her. And I wanted that so bad. So here's another woman. And she talked of her church and she talked to her church people and I just wanted it so bad. And I worked with her for three years and she taught me how to be a mom at 40 some years old to be a mom, to be a woman, to be a friend, to have healthy relationships with women. And I would always say, I'm so grateful for you and thank you. And how do you do it? And she'd always say, it's God. I'd get so mad at her (laughs) because no, you're helping me. And she has taught me today to be that woman. And today I get to work with women. And they get so mad at me when I say, it's God, it's only God. Who knew I would become that woman? Through God and through um, working a program of recovery, I've mended relationships with my children, with my mom, with friends who I've had for 20 plus years. They're here. With my new friends, you're here. Whew. Along the way, then through my hotel, um, a woman and I contacted each other, and she's a pastor that planted this church, Julie, and this was my next mentor that God strategically placed me with. And she, she um, pretended she wanted space, and I pretended I needed her too. It was interesting, and she worked on me and worked on me and worked on me, and she would come to me finally. She wanted to hear my story, and I shared it with her, and it was weird because she liked me strange. Someone at a church wants to be around me. And then she would come to me and she said, God placed it on my heart that we're going to do this discipleship Bible study. And I'm like, what? I can't say no to that. And I had to Google disciple. (laughs) What does that mean? And then I was like, this is a cult. This is weird. But I did it because she said, God said, and we began to work that And it changed me. It changed me. And would you believe that this discipleship program simultaneously goes along with my steps in my recovery? (sighs) Wow, that's amazing. Through that, then she came to me and she said, Elizabeth, God has placed on my heart that you're going to be an intern here at the Grove. Excuse me. I didn't have to Google intern. But, and at that time too, um, 2020 COVID happened. And so the world shut down. And our rooms of recovery shut down. And I was fired from my job, shut down. So here we go again. It was like all these triggers, rejection, not good enough. What are we going to do? Fear, 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 fear. So out of that, the rooms did not close, thanks to a few good close friends, because we knew that us as addicts, we need that. We need a program of recovery and love and hope. And through that, I learned so much about the church and more about myself and what God is doing. And Julie had me go on these assignments with Kyle. Kyle, hi, Kyle. He was my internship buddy. And she would have us out there on missions and a world shut down, which we were able to check those boxes in a different way.
I have been able to now, it, you know, it took some time. It's so, it, when I put on this dress this morning, I was like, isn't this something? I went from a prison jumpsuit to a dress. <laughs> Preaching in front of a church, that is so unreal. And even though I only spent 14 months in prison, I say only, that's a long time. Um, it took me about a year to walk out of there and feel normal and feel that other people weren't still looking at me as that number. But God has allowed me to see myself in a new light for the first time. And today, because of working my program of recovery and because of what God has done in my life, I have hope. And I get to share that hope with others. And I've experienced grace and mercy. And I've been able to forgive myself and forgive others. I've been, I've allowed God into my life to allow him to restore me and transform me. And I still fall short all of the time. I don't want to sound like I'm so, so, so amazing because there are many times. And as this ministry started here, something so powerful, thanks to Pastor Robert, who I met last Christmas, and he jumped on and I just followed him around. <laughs> he said, give me the five minute version of your story. I gave him three hours. <laughs> and I just followed him around. He was like, okay, Elizabeth. And I'm like, no, I have more. And I want to tell you what I want to do. You know, you guys know I do that. Um, I just don't quit. But anywho, and so we went to this conference together and he believed in me and he just said, what about, and I wanted to do something because I'm very, very, very active in my um, recovery and I'm very active in this community and I want to see a change. I want to see a, a change. I want every, 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 every woman and man in this town who wants a new way of life, I want them to have a chance at recovery and hope in a new way. And so I have my recovery life over here and I have my God and my discipleship and my Grove life over here. And I've speak to this with everyone. And I wanted to start this nonprofit and we were at this conference and I was on fire. I had my notebook and I was just writing notes. And I kept asking Pat, I said, aren't you guys on fire? And they were just like, Elizabeth, we've done this several times. And I'm like, oh, okay. So after that, he said to me, Elizabeth, um, instead of your nonprofit, like what if we can build and make something here at the Grove that combines it both? And I was like, oh, I've never thought of that before. What? And so slowly but surely he, and this man, he's a powerful man, Pastor Robert, and I'm really grateful for you. And I knew that he was someone that wouldn't just speak words to me and wouldn't make it come true, but I didn't know what it would look like. And so he asked me to write an executive summary of what my mission, what would be here. And I had to Google executive summary too, by the way. <laughs> and then I prayed to God and I sent it out. Da, 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 da. And, and um, he said, whoa, that was good because he wanted to proofread it. But anyhow, um, then I had to write a few other things. And so in that, he sent it. I don't know how he sent it, whatever. I don't know where he sent it from. But one of his friends funded me to be hired here full-time at the Grove to build this ministry. And this man I've never met before. His name is Craig Spaulding. Never met him. Again, another person that believes in me, Elizabeth, an addict, a felon, you know, a single mom, but someone that has transformed her life because of the, what God has done in her life. And it just so happens that his foundation is called South Gate, South Bay, South Bay Foundation. 
And in the first few weeks of um, the ministry here, we baptized 21 people and I just picked a pavilion and it was called South Bay Pavilion and had no idea. So God just keeps doing these things. Boom, 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 boom. You know, for me and for my life. Ooh, so powerful. I just wanted to share with you guys a piece of my story and my journey from darkness to light. And being imprisoned, there's something way worse than being imprisoned physically, is walking around life in a spiritual prison and dead. And I just want you to know that if that is where you're at, or if you know someone, if that's where they're at, there is something different. There is hope, there is love, there is forgiveness. And this story can be your story. I'm not unique anymore. <laughs> and this is my story of transformation and restoration. And I want to give everyone here a chance, if you would like, to say a prayer of salvation. And that's a start. And if that is something you choose to do today, talk to someone that is a member of the church or me or Robert so we can guide you and we can help you and mentor you along the way. Because just having someone call out to you and say a prayer of salvation and shove you on your way sometimes isn't enough. And we cannot do it alone. We need each other. We need community. And I need you guys too.